Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined this week by Becky, producer JL, John Luke Shaparo, and a special guest host with uh, Dave Absent this week. It is Rob Luker back in the fray with us here on Live from the Blue Seats. And uh, really excited to have you back, Rob. It's been a couple of months. Um, how are you doing? It has. Good. Glad to be back. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll do our best to replace Dave here, but nobody can. We know that. But uh, no, been doing well. Just uh, I'm ready for spring hockey, spring golf season, anything spring. I'm, I'm more spring than fall. I know we're supposed to say we love football, but I'm more of a spring guy. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think this is oddly, I think you've only been on the show a couple of times this year, and I don't think Dave has been here either time. So we're going to have to get you guys on the same show to, to, you know, spar a little bit. That's because, fair. Because, you know, although, you know, Dave and Becky usually kind of handle that. But um, no, listen, we've obviously got a lot to talk about. We are recording here a couple of days before you listen to this, but that's kind of inconsequential because the Rangers have no games. They have are in the midst of a four-day break, a much-needed four-day break, uh, coming on the heels of all of the Patrick Kane, you know, trade stuff that, you know, roster management and some injuries and a suspension thrown in there. Uh, as well as a couple of tough games, including the most recent one uh, against Boston. But they are on a little bit of a slide here. They've only won two out of their last seven games, I think it is. So certainly struggling. But, um, you know, we are going to break all that down, get some reaction to how we think Patrick Kane has looked. And we certainly will talk about um, the uh, the new lines that we saw for Tuesday's practice, which, you know, I assume will stay the same for Wednesday. I'll, you know, Gerard Gallant is fickle, although I don't, he, we don't think he's that fickle. So, um, yeah, really excited to jump into it all. But first, Becky, how are you doing? Uh-oh. I was on mute, guys. Wow. Listen. It's been a day. Um, I'm doing well, though. I mean, I'm excited that, you know, we're going to see a game that has, uh, more more players first of all <laughs> like oh, maybe a full roster. start <laughs> uh a roster that has now practiced with one another really exciting stuff and yeah i think it should be great so i'm looking forward to it and also luker i echo your sentiments i'm a big fall guy but i never realized how much of not a winter person i am until like i felt five like of my serotonin, whatever kicking in on like the one day that it was like 65 degrees here. So I am, yeah. I'm done. Like I'm done with winter. It, Annoying. It's just starting to snow here in the tri-state area too. Like in March. What the it is, is it that? is, it is time. We've had enough of the teases. It's, it's time to actually be outside. Yeah. <laughs> agree. Uh, and last but not least, JL want to hear from you. How's everything in your world here uh, on, on this week's show? Everything is good. I like hockey. Hockey is fun. You know what I like? Spring. Spring is fun. I like <laughs> things. No, I'm all right. Um, I uh, I'm. It's weird because this weather. You guys are talking about the weather. It's like part of it is nice and part of it's like bad. Like it's cold in the night, but then nice in the afternoon. I'm so tired of it. But then I also like the winter at the same time. I'm a goblin. So, um, no, but I, I, I'm, I'm pumped for some hockey. I'm actually heading out to, uh, 
the city of Pittsburgh this weekend to see the Rangers play out there. So Ooh. that's going to be nice. Um, I will wear my Jacob Truba jersey and get all those Yinzers riled up. That's <laughs> going to be fun. And I hope that they win when I'm there because I've been there for about three games and every single game they have lost. But when it's baseball season, different story. Mets always win. But anyways. <laughs> Yeah, you'll have to uh, report in on on the atmosphere in Pittsburgh. You're a braver man than I am uh, wearing a I wouldn't wear any jersey, let alone a Truba jersey in uh, the middle of that crowd. Nothing happens in Pittsburgh. Yeah, but I mean, uh, they're yeah. getting they're getting booed off the ice tonight. It's Tuesday the 7th and they're getting booed off the ice after the first period, so it oh, could I be can't. an interesting crowd there. <laughs> I can't wait. They gave me crap the last time. One guy who was sitting next to me, every time Jacob Truba and, and I'll just say the story real quick cuz it's actually kind of funny. Um Jacob Truba, every time he got the puck, if anyone listening remembers this, but I'll remind, he would get booed because of the incident, you know, the quote-unquote illegal hit that he had against Crosby last season. Forbid anyone ever makes contact with Crosby in a contact sport, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so the one guy next to me, now, if there's anything you know about Pittsburgh is everybody has really crazy, like, accents, and they're called Yinzers, Right. So they're kind of like, oh, we're going to go to Gent Eagle. Yin's doing all right. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die here. Um, so you're guy, not going to die in Pittsburgh. I can assure you that. No, I know. I'm, I'm well aware of that. But the guy next to me, every time I was like, why are they booing Truba? I know why. But he was like, <laughs> chicken wang, chicken wang, chicken wang. I'm like, oh, my gosh, get over it. It was last spring. Goodness gracious. Like, what are you they? talking about? Whatever. No, but weren't they also mad at them for shooting at Tristan Jerry's chest? <laughs> yes, that's right. They, so... got mad, they got mad at him because they sh no, it wasn't Tristan Jerry. It was Casey DeSmith. Oh, and he left. Me. They left the game because he got he got he took a shot in in his chest, and they're like, "Oh, how dare they do that?" Like, okay, so they'll just cycle the puck the whole time. Sure, I... okay. Noted, noted hockey strategy: shoot it right at the goalie's chest. Yeah, yeah I've always worked well. Yeah, Scott think... Gomez would approve. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that might they might be the worst fan base though. Like, well, Philly is back there. on that. Yeah, no, but Philly, like Philly, they're all like animals. But you know, at least like they're entertaining. Pittsburgh's just That's true. crying That's the fair. whole time. Anyway, this is a good a question just for anyone else who ever wants to ask a question of the podcast. This is our question to ourselves. <laughs> this is our question to you, listeners. <laughs> um. Well, thank you, JL, and, and we hope that everything is 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 fun and rowdy within within reason, but mostly peaceful and, and certainly violence free for you in Pittsburgh uh, this upcoming weekend. Um, I wanted to, before we jump into some of the more newsworthy items, I wanted to sort of just start, start the show off with kind of an overview of, of of how we thought the Rangers did at the trade deadline. You know, this was a weird deadline in the sense that we did not have from the Rangers or from a lot of teams that flurry of activity on deadline day, because so many of the huge moves happened, you know, even a month or a month plus before the deadline. So as we know, the Rangers did their business relatively early, getting Tarasenko and Mikola first, then Tyler Mott, and then finally moving the pieces as was necessary to acquire Patrick Kane. So we never really, and then we did our show last week and it's solely focused on the Kane acquisition, I think rightfully given that it was such a monumental thing. Uh, for the Rangers, and there's a lot of layers to it as we covered. But I wanted to talk about how do we think the Rangers did at this trade deadline? I remember last year vividly talking about how pretty much unanimously across the board it was graded an A, maybe an A minus, but but mostly an A by by a wide mar a wide 
uh, swath of the fan base. I think everybody really thought they they added the right type of pieces last year, and certainly it resulted in a great playoff run and a team that was two wins from a Stanley Cup final. If you had to give it a letter letter grade, and Rob, since you're the you're the guest this week, I'll start with you. What letter grade are you giving the Rangers at this deadline, and why? I would give a B plus, but please let me explain. <laughs> uh, it's a B plus in the sense of one point away from the A. And that is only because they did exactly what they did last year. Essentially, they went and got some good compliments um, to the core of their lineup. But they obviously swung for some bigger names this year, um, but bigger names that are older and maybe not the same names that they were a few years ago. So that's why a B plus. I think nobody's if you frame it as would there be better complete hockey players or NHL players, I should say, out there compared to Kane and Tarasenko. At the trade deadline, yeah, I mean, Timo Meyer was probably out there, et cetera. But could the Rangers afford them? Would it make sense cap-wise? Probably not. So that's all I mean in terms of there might have been better players out there, but it was a still a very good deadline. Tough to say any of them was an overpay. So from a from a value standpoint, um, that, that was very good. And, I mean, I've been very pleased with Nico Mikola. I know uh, <laughs> to an extent the bar is on the floor with Ben Harper for Mikola to come in and be better than that, but – um, I thought that was a shrewd pickup by jury to include that in the Tarasenko deal as well. So B plus for me, but really only a point or two away from being an A. Becky, how about you? Um, I'm going to say a B. I'm like still a little, and this, like, I want to preface this by saying this isn't because of production or lack thereof at this point, because it's ridiculous to judge like that. But I'm still like a little undecided on the cane trade for the reasons that I mentioned last week and the week before that, that, you know, I'm just not sure that it specifically addresses a need. Now, I understand that it can, you know, push the need away by utilizing others on the team that were being misplaced. Um, but I have zero faith in Gerard Gallant um, to, to properly utilize anyone as we'll discuss with the power play lines that we've seen. So, um, you know, like, look, I'm sure he's going to be great and I'm sure I'm going to be eating my words, but for now I just find it to be like a little like square peg round hole, like, not necessary but the other moves are good also funny when you trade for a guy last year you let them go and then you trade for them again this year like it's not ideal but I understand that that was the reason we didn't sign him Tyler Mott is because of other cap considerations we had to think about right so um but overall I think they did a good job I agree with Luker on Nicola, like I think he is doing well, but also agrees that the bar is literally the floor. So <laughs> um I'm glad we don't have Jake Lucision anymore. I that like zero replacement player, whatever the war equivalent is, is just like ridiculous to me. So um so yeah, I'd say a B. Um and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing considering what was also available. JL, where are you on a letter grade? I'm about the same. I'm probably about a B plus, so to speak. I'm not going to call it an A due to the fact that the fourth line still kind of needs a center. Um, but I guess they're committed to going forward with Barclay Goodrow. But other than that, you know, they definitely shot higher this year when it came to Tarasenko and Kane. I I don't necessarily think that they wanted Kane in the first place as, you know, some things that have been put out there. 
But at the end of the day, it makes the team much, much better than they were at the start of the season. And obviously, we'll have to see how they turn out, you know, with this extended rest and, you know, power play time and practice. Um, it, it, it's they they did a good job They they needed to do what they needed to do. They addressed the fourth line outside of the center. They got the, the players that they needed to get. There's really not much to say outside of that. They did a really good job and really set this team up. I will also talk about Mikula, although he has frustrated me a couple of times. Then again, I am no scout, but I mean, it's definitely a lot better than the bar being really low, AKA Jack Johnson or Patrick Nemeth. But, um, you know, he's been serviceable. He's got a long reach, you know, maybe he's still trying to fit in somehow. Defensemen tend to take a little bit longer to fit in than forwards, but, you know, once this team is fully healthy, especially with Lindgren coming back sometime soon, and then you got a healthy Mott coming back, I think this I think this team has been primed to contend and maybe do more than what they did last season. I'm not going to continue to repeat most of what you guys said because it's already been said, but I think they did a really good job. Yeah, I think just to kind of wrap it up, it's a solid B for me. I think I'm I'm a little concerned about and I want to make sure that the issues that they created for themselves to get Patrick Kane are fully cleared up and behind them before I'll feel really, really confident about them going forward. Not that I think that, you know, their season's over, that they're not going to get out of this little rut that they're in, but it's a little discouraging, slightly discouraging. I think we can all agree that, that the Devils have reopened a huge gap in the standings now, right? I mean, the Rangers were a point or two behind them not that long ago. And, and I think, you know, you know, the way the Devils and Hurricanes have been playing that you basically have to win four out of five games, right? Get get eight out of 10 or at least seven out of 10 points every every five games in order to keep up with them. And they basically said, you know what? We're going to have to sacrifice a few games to get Patrick Kane. That is what it is. But then can you recover and get back to that level while going through this uh, exercise, if you want to call it that, to, to make all the pieces fit? You know, listen, I, we'll see. The jury's out on that. But again, I think, Luger, you made the point about value. Uh, again, Chris Drury did an absolutely phenomenal job, other than Vitaly Kravtsov, of course, uh, in keeping uh, all of his prospects uh, in the fold. He didn't give up Zach Jones. He didn't give up Brendan Offman, which I know some people were afraid might happen. Only gave up one first-round pick. The the other pick in the Kane deal only becomes a first if they make the conference final. Again, if that's a trade you're willing to make because – of your odds, right? If you're in the final four, your odds of winning a Stanley cup are pretty high at that point. So to make the deal, right. That's, that's higher odds than a, than a lower mid first round pick becoming a star player. So it's a worthwhile exchange of value there. Um, but I, I think we need to see how this shakes out. Now that leads me right into Patrick Kane's performance, right? He played a couple of games for the Rangers, his, his debut versus the Ottawa senators Thursday, last Thursday evening, a week, a week ago today, when you're listening to this on Thursday, Kind of a really exciting game, playoff atmosphere. I, I want to hear from you, JL, in a, in a minute about the atmosphere because you were there. But and ultimately a 5-3 to three loss. Rangers kind of fell asleep early in the third period, gave up a couple of bad goals, and couldn't find any, any offense after that really to make a push. And then they go into Boston and play two really solid periods against the Bruins, but again, seem to run out of gas because they're playing shorthanded, because they're uh, a little bit banged up and, and all that stuff, and, and they, they lose to the best team in hockey um, four to two ends up being the final score there. So, um, same order. It's a bit of a round table format, right? Luker, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on Kane's first two games? What did you think of his performance individually? I think, unfortunately it's, 
a lot similar to what I've seen in the handful of Chicago Blackhawks games I've been able to watch locally out here. Um, <laughs> as in, he's not the same player he was three or four years ago. And I, and I, that this was the whole risk of getting him, right? If we don't find the right, if they don't find the right combination for him where he can be um, the guy that doesn't forecheck as often and really just takes advantage of his ability to enter the zone with possession, his ability to make dangerous, high, um, high danger cross-ice passes and shoot the puck. That is what is mostly left of him. I'm not saying he won't have a couple of good shifts where he might be able to really get involved in a cycle, but I mean, it's kind of that's, I guess the whole trade deadline grade, it's one way, one of two ways to look at it. And I'll, I'll get back to my point here in a second, which is you got to grade the trades as they're made in the moment, which is why I gave the B plus Kravstov, Kravstov and the rest of that. That's an off season discussion, but now it's on Gallant and the, coaching staff to actually find the right combos which i know we'll get to but that's i just didn't see a ton i guess the first game was probably better than the boston game i didn't catch mm -hmm. the part of that but I, I don't know i just we we need more pretty quickly and there's only so much time to experiment here through april because at, at some point you also want to walk into a lock into a lineup that you don't necessarily want to see changing um even a week before the playoffs or something you want to be rolling kind of like they did last year yeah. So Becky, how about, how about you? Any, any initial kind of, you know, thoughts on, on Kane and what you've seen from him so far? No, I don't really have any thoughts on the, on the like the Kane, I'm saying a situation. I don't mean it like in a negative light, but we don't have enough information at this point. Again, they didn't even practice. They didn't have a full practice with him. They're playing with shortened roster. I don't have any feedback. I'll have feedback next week. So, JL, what was it like in the garden for his debut? Because it certainly seemed, especially early in the game, that there was quite the buzz. Oh, man. Let me tell you. it. <laughs> I know I tend to wax poetic at times, but <clears throat> I the garden was just absolutely electric. Even at warm-ups, when they would show him on the screen, uh, the crowd would just absolutely go bonkers. And there's a video on my YouTube channel. Um, I've been putting up clips of the Rangers as of late, like extended clips of events that have gone on through the season, um, including some uh, clips of, you know, away feeds mixed with the MSG feeds if they're, you know, inaccessible or whatever. And I uploaded uh, the introductions, <clears throat> excuse me, of the uh, for Patrick Kane. And let me tell you, it was it was loud. I mean, and the garden's been loud a lot lately, but you could tell that there's something there and the type of player that, you know, Kane is even now at this point of his career can still bring a lot to this team. Um, outside of maybe halfway to the third period after they kind of had that barrage on net Ottawa, the atmosphere was almost like a playoff game. It was kind of like this anticipation of whenever Kane was on the ice, it was like this heightened sense of, is he going to score? Because obviously, you know, to everyone's, you know, to everyone, you know, comments, if, to everyone here, everyone knows that uh, Vladimir Tarasenko scored his first shift or second shift, rather. Second shift, yeah. Yeah, second shift. And his first game here, and I was there for that too, and the place went absolutely bonkers. And it was sort of the same, you know. You know, he comes out on the ice, everybody's cheering for him, you know, the whole place was, you know, loud. Um, and you could feel that throughout the night. Now, in terms of his game, obviously his first game was a lot better than his second. And this is why I say that obviously, you know, this is barring any practice with this team at all whatsoever. 
I thought he looked really good. And this is why I think he looked really good because what he was trying to do that not many Rangers have done lately is actually try to create offense. Now, a lot of the passes were blocked. A lot of his chances were, you know, he was checked, stick checked, you know, kind of, you know, it kind of limited him a little bit because he couldn't really know what he was doing in a sense because they were all kind of mixed up a little bit. But you can see that he, even though he's not the same player that he was before, you can see he still has those patented hands that he's so well known for having on the ice. This guy is a master stick handler. And the thing I liked about it too was that he kind of gave Artemi Panarin a bit of a jump in that sense because Panarin was firing shots left and right all over the place and you can tell he had a little spunk in his game so that's something nice to see game two obviously boston being a very system heavy team they're very formulaic in the way they play defense and the rangers again being shorthanded and playing a lot of games and a lot of days were definitely gassed but even in that sense he still looked really good you know, I, I am, you know, as much of a, you know, statistics, advanced statistics, advanced analytics guy as anyone else, not to the level of you guys. You guys are a lot smarter than me in that aspect. But I'm also a guy who looks at the eye test and I'm, you know, not like, oh, the eye test is the, the main thing. No, but it's definitely vital. And the thing I noticed about Kane is he is attempting and trying to create offense, which is why these last couple of days off. I think will be good for them because now it gives them time to actually figure out what they're doing. And we'll get to the power play stuff in a second. Cause I do have thoughts about that, but overall his, his, he looks fine. He just needs time. You know, we gave Tarasenko basically two and a half weeks and I know it's a shorter time frame for Kane, but I still think Kane still has it in him to basically adapt quickly and work well for this team. Well, it's remain remains to be seen, but I think it'll be fine. I thought he looked good. Yeah, I thought he had a. I thought his first game, I thought he actually looked really good as well. I, there were plenty of dangerous moments. He he actually had a chance from maybe twenty feet, I, right in the middle of the slot to tie the game. And and Talbot made a good. Talbot played great in that game, by the way. I mean, the, it's not like the Rangers as a team didn't create offense in that game. They had plenty of chances. And and what you said about Panarin, I think, is key here, JL. And and back to what you were talking about as well, Rob, about you know what are the combinations that will ultimately work and. What are the combinations that put this team in the best position to succeed? If they get the Panarin that they had on Thursday night against Ottawa last Thursday, I mean, he had 12 shot attempts, I think is the number. I, I might have to go fact check that, but I think I saw it somewhere on Twitter the next day that he had 12 shot attempts in the game, which everybody's gripe about Artemi Panarin, obviously, is that he passes too much. But And if he's going to play with Patrick Kane, somebody's going to have to shoot the puck there. And and. I have a feeling that that player is going to be Panera. Now, you know, I'd like to see Kane take more of his own shot as well. I think that's something that you said also, Rob, in your, in your, uh, you know, during your thoughts there was, you know, Hey, look, the guy, pretty good shooter. He's got how, you know, how many goals does he have in his career over 400 goals? Um, so, you know, we want to see him shoot the puck himself as well, but if Panarin is a shooter, we know Vinny Trocek's a shooter and he's going to be going to the net and looking for rebounds and tips and stuff like that. That is one path to success for that line, but I thought they were a lot more out of sync on Saturday against Boston, and maybe that has to do with the way the Bruins defend, as you said, JL, because they're just so they're so good at limiting shots. I mean, they are the number one team in expected goals against, you know, and that's kind of what keeps them in that uh, elite stratosphere in the league because their offense is kind of average. Um, so, 
And they've been and, they've been yeah, doing I that mean, for years. Through, the difference this year is Allmark is actually probably going to win the Vezina. <laughs> so right, if they score one or two goals teams. on you, you're not going to go score two or three, it, or it's very difficult to do so. Very rare. Yep. And they always they're just getting the whole timely scoring thing right. Where if when the game gets tight, they throw that perfection line out there. I know Pasternak's been separated from those guys, but they put Bergeron and Marchand out there or Pasternak, and they come up with a moment of brilliance to to kind of put them back up by two or break a tie late. It's just, that's been, it's been going their way all year. And until further notice, they're the team to beat, but the Rangers have played them tough three times. You know, I don't think in any of the three times they played the Bruins this year, have they looked outclassed or like they don't belong on the ice with them. So, you know, and it's a long way now until the playoffs and a potential, you know, conference final matchup. Um, Okay. So, you know, we've, we've already hinted at it a little bit here, but, the Rangers finally had a practice, a full team practice with a full complement of skaters on Tuesday morning. And they will practice again. They will have practiced again Wednesday by the time you listen to this. And in terms of line combinations, it was it was more of the same. Uh, it was Mika uh, centering Kreider and Tarasenko, Panarin, Trocek and Kane, kid line and the fourth line with uh, Johnny Brodzinski called up in an emergency on an emergency basis while Tyler Mott hopefully uh, heals up and and uh, gets over his concussion after that awful hit by Austin Watson. Where the real changes came was on the power play. And I think, Becky, I want to start with you here because uh, I know you have thoughts and I think we all have thoughts, but let's start with the power plays and then we can kind of circle back to the to five on five stuff, which will ultimately be um, probably more important in the grand scheme of things, but the power play is a huge weapon for this team and it needs to continue to be that moving forward. So you know, Becky, the main high headline here is that Mika Zibanejad was actually put on the second power play unit, and he's out there with Jacob Truba, Vladimir Tarasenko, Chris Kreider, and uh, Philip Hedl. So what did you make of all that when you heard about it? So we play our first power play unit. Well, first of all, let's preface this by saying that since Kane joined it again, no full practice, like whatever, I was expecting that there would be some kind of change, but you're moving Mika right on this power play. And that's not really great considering he has what, how many, how many does 29 power play points? He has 19 like, power play goals. Yes. Right. And 29 power play points out of his 67 points. So like, that's a pretty, it like, I think we could infer from that, that like he's good on the power play. Right. So we know right now that the first power play unit typically gets 90 seconds maybe more. Right. I don't know. I need mm-hmm. someone to like run stats for me or whatever, but I'm no, just saying, that's usually, oh yeah, definitely. Let's go by the the way, if they haven't right. scored by then, yes, which they have yeah. not scored as much as last year, unfortunately, but yeah. Right. Okay. So we're talking about getting a unit out there, anticipating the second unit out there, anticipating that they'd be in the zone and setting up and getting a, a goal. Like how often does that happen? So you're taking arguably your best power play person, like, you know, player person. Yeah. The human fund. Um, <laughs> and and putting them on the second unit. So unless you're intending to evenly split the units, I truly don't know what you're doing. Unless it's like, our, is Gallant like sheltering minutes? Like, I, I just like, I don't understand most of the time what the fuck is going on in this guy's head? I just don't get it. Like, it's it's like, this is something that's really working. Let's just completely fuck with it. Just for like shits and giggles. Like we're bored. This might be really fun. Let's just see how many people we could piss off today. 
I don't get it. I mean, maybe someone with a clear hockey mind or someone who's like has experienced coaching, et cetera, like can explain this to me in layman's terms, because to me, I'm like, this is a common sense isn't common thing. Well, and I think the other thing, just to add to that, Becky, no, and I think you're spot on. I mean, he is also, and I don't have the stat in front of me, but I think he has since the 2021 season, 2020, 2021 season, he is the second most power play goals in the entire NHL next uh, after Leon Dreisaitl. So yeah, he's an elite power play scorer, finisher, whatever you want to call him. He's got one of the best one-timers in the league. My issue with this is, and, and the first thing I, I, I thought and said to people and friends in Ranger group chats or whatever is, Who's passing him the puck? So look at who else he's out there with. And, 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 and this is not to say that Mika can't uh, do stuff on his own, but, but clearly him getting that shot off relies on perfect passes from Panarin or Adam Fox. And I, I bet if you look at who most frequently assists his power play goals, it's Panarin and Fox. Mm-hmm. So now you're removing him from Panarin and Fox. And really the only guy on that unit that can pass the puck well is Tarasenko. And Tarasenko is a really, he's actually a really good playmaker. I think that's one of the parts of his game that gets overlooked and was not really present in his game for a long time. You know, young, when he was younger, he was kind of a, more of a pure sniper. Uh, in his last, you know, I think he had 82 points last year. I think he had 38 assists. So um, he's certainly no slouch when it comes to, or 48 assists, I think it was. He's certainly a slouch, slouch when it comes to playmaking, but you're severely limiting the opportunities Mika Zibanejad's going to have to get off that one-timer. And you're also, as you said, Becky, kind of playing a, uh, you know, uh, pick your poison's the wrong word, but you're you're playing a weird game with the ice time here where if you want to split the time evenly, then you're putting one of the units at a disadvantage, right? Because only only the unit that starts gets the advantage of the offensive zone faceoff to start the power play usually the second unit is whoever comes out second is coming on the ice when you're regrouping in the defensive zone. And then you have to go g- gain the zone and set up, which takes 15 seconds as is. If you win that initial offensive zone faceoff, you're set up right away and you're into your power play less than five seconds into the, into the two minutes. So I'm with you. I see a lot of problems with this. And, and I think this is a, another example of struggle and maybe overthinking things and going a little bit, you know, not to use an, uh, an overkilled, Twitter phrase, but he's galaxy braining this a little bit. I don't know, Rob, what do you think about the power play unit? That's so people might not remember this from months ago when I was last on here, because this was when the power play was still generating at a very, very high level, a top three level in the league and not scoring as much. Now they had a heater, if I remember correctly, maybe in December and January, where it looked like last year for a good three, four weeks, but it is not a problem. It's not a problem if you're generating at a top three level and your best unit is on there for not, for 30 seconds. Would we love to see Hito, Kako, Lafreniere when that was power play two for a while out there for a little bit more? Yeah, but did anybody really care when they were getting 10 shots in about right. 20 seconds and three of them were Mika one-timers and it was just a matter of would it hit the net or would it literally concuss the goalie or go off the bar? <laughs> like, and, and that's yeah. so, and maybe these new, look, we have, we have Tarasenko and Kane now. Maybe the new units work fine that's completely a chance but they're trying this to include more people essentially to solve a problem that's not really there the problem is the rangers shot like 20 or percent i don't know 80 percent they were a top five unit in the league in the power play last year and special teams year over year is extremely volatile it's very very tough to do it again but the fact is the rangers were generating that first power play unit was so good at keeping the puck and getting so many chances i don't know what else they want out of it except more goals 
So it's just, but they're just, they're, you see what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're possibly creating a problem that's not even there right now. And that's the frustrating part. So yeah, that's where the galaxy branding comes in. I agree. Yeah. And you know, look, I think I actually also, you know, the other factor here is the, somebody is going to lose ice time, right? Or somebody's going to be unhappy. Now the odd man out ended up being Capo Caco, which I think we can all agree is fine, even though it'd be nice for him to, you know, get some confidence and power play points. I think we're kind of past the, the, the those concerns with Caco. I think he's been a very good five on five player. I think he, he kills penalties uh, and excels in that role. Uh, and, and is obviously, you know, to me, one of their best two way forwards already. So and I think he'll get his chances as he, you know, builds his career as a Ranger. So I'm not as worried about that. But, you know, is the worry like, oh, well, Patrick Kane, you know, is he going to be upset or is Tarasenko going to be upset? And, you know, I kind of am of, of the mind that everybody's going to make the necessary sacrifices here. This is this team really only has one shot as currently constructed. And I don't want to get too much into salary cap and offseason stuff, but we know that everybody they brought in this year is pretty much a pure rental given the cap crunch that's coming, right? Can't really see Kane or Tarasenko or Mikola or Mott coming back. You want to retain your young players. You might have to get move Barkley Goodrow out in order to accommodate one of the, uh, one of those contracts. So this is kind of a one shot deal for this team to find it, find the magic and win a Stanley cup. And if you don't have the right mix in the room and folks willing to make sacrifices, then it's not going to work anyway. So I don't think the ice time thing is as big of a concern, but I, I wonder if this is a little bit of an effort to say like, oh, well, we're going to split the baby a little bit, right? We're going to, we're going to, we're not going to leave one of the stars out of that top unit equation. We're going to instead try and spread the wealth. The other thing it does, and I think this is very wacky methodology and I don't agree with it at all, is that it keeps the top two lines together. The top two trios, right? Yeah, you have Kreider, just, Mika, yeah. and Tarasenko on one unit. You have Panarin, Trocek and Kane on the other unit. So is this also a way to manufacture more chemistry? I don't know. It just seems like, as you said, Rob, they're twisting themselves into knots for something that hasn't really been that big of a problem, uh, especially in terms of generating offense. So JL, I know you said you had some power play thoughts. Why don't you hit us with those? Because we've covered a lot of ground already. I I don't think this is as big of a problem as we're putting it out to be here. Um, Like Rob, had mentioned, you know, the power play has been, you know, working at a pretty elite pace for a very long time. And this is what's going to happen when you have an overload of elite talent on your team. So obviously we all kind of saw this coming once they traded for Kane. It just all depended on how it was going to be set up. Now, I don't think this is going to be a problem, but that all depends on how Gallant executes his changes and how he uses these units. Now, the thing that I've noticed the most is it didn't seem like Gallant really trusted the second power play unit for a very long time. And if you notice, watch a lot of games, you the sec the first unit comes off the ice, they're on for basically almost more than a minute and change. They come back on the bench and they're gassed. Like I think there was one where I saw um I might have been on the road. I saw Mika sitting on the bench and he looked like he was basically gonna keel over, you know. So while I'm not too keen on taking Mika off of the power play one, I don't necessarily think at this point that either one or two really makes much of a difference. I think it kind of gives the Rangers more of a strategic uh, asset in the sense that, all right, well, I'm not just going to throw the same 
five guys on the ice every single time we get a power play. Maybe maybe they start one and then the second one comes out next on the first power play, addressing basically what you were saying in terms of, you know, equal ice time and chances on ice. They know Mika Zibanejad is their best power play option. Of course they do. I don't, you know, say what you want about Galan and his coaches and whatever. Yeah, they may be they may be dense, but I don't think they're that stupid to basically limit the main guy who was basically second to Leon Dreisaitl on power play goals. So I think what it's becoming is they're allowing guys to not only be on the power play, but also give time for guys to rest because that's the issue that happens when you have a loaded top unit. Yeah, we didn't see much of it last season because they were basically executing on this ridiculous pace. But now that things are a bit different and sometimes you don't get all the luck all the time, well, you kind of got to spread the wealth a little bit. And I think this is what this is. It all It's all dependent on whether he, Gallant, and their coaches execute this properly. I don't necessarily care that Mika gets put on power play too unless he's not being used as much. And this is also a message for Patrick Kane to say, hey, you need to start doing something. And I think this is a good start. Now, we'll find out how this is going to turn out within the next couple of games, whether or not they start producing or not. And we hope that if things go the other way, that they can make the proper adjustments. So I don't think this is necessarily much of a problem. You know, I'm really happy to see Philip Hedel playing with guys like Tarasenko, Kreider, and Zibanejad, because I think that would ultimately make him a better player in the long run. And it's also really nice to see Lafreniere on power play one, because now at least it shows that Gerard Gallant is actually paying attention, allowing this kid to get big minutes with these guys. That that That's the one thing I think that we haven't really touched on, that Alexi Lafreniere is on power play one, and he'll be the bumper, and I think he'll be very good at being a bumper and switching with Trocek and also being basically another left-handed shot on that unit as well. So yeah, I think he's going to be net front, but either way, I agree. It's a good opportunity. Way. Yeah. I mean, I'm annoyed though, because like, I, I like, I agree with you, John. Like, like I think that a lot of what you're saying is right, but I do want to point out that this isn't like first or second line, like on your five on five, right? Like you have a finite amount of time on a power play. So if you can't get a change, like then your second power play doesn't come out. So it will impact playing time. Right. Like, now they could start with that second unit. I mean, that's that's yeah, definitely then a it's possibility. it's not the fucking second unit, then it's the first unit. Like this is well, like, yeah. It's well, annoying. well, then you're gonna have the, the typical coach thing. Well, it'll be like we have two first units, you know, which which yeah, but like that's bullshit. That's like PR speak, right? Like right, or right, like, exactly. Whatever. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've ever. <laughs> the idea of a power play to score as soon as possible. So yeah. I don't care that the first unit's out there for ninety eight seconds, hundred seconds, hundred twenty seconds. If they're if they're peppering the goalie, the other the opposing goalie, obviously, that's the idea. So we'll see if we'll see if the new line we'll see if the new pair uh, the new units work. I I just. It wasn't a problem before, and now we have new units. That's where I leave it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. Um, now let's uh, let's talk quickly just for a few minutes about about the the rest of the lineup. So again, no changes to what we've seen. Um, you know, in the first two games since Patrick Kane was acquired, the only main change, frankly, is going to be that they have a full complement of players. You know, Johnny Brzezinski, if Tyler Mott can't go, will be in the lineup. Keandre Miller will be back from suspension. Um, you know, 
how long are you sticking with this? That's the question for me, you know, <laughs> because, you know, what's, what's, what is kind of funny is that, you know, Galan has changed lines, you know, after one bad period, uh, as we know famously, which kind of, I think threw this season off course for quite a bit. Seemingly that was back in November. Well. <laughs> uh, right. So, yeah, I mean, let's just, let's just answer that question and, 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 uh, and go from there. I mean, Rob, how long are you sticking with this lineup? When will you say like, all right, I've seen enough. Well, I got dragged a little bit on Twitter today because I wouldn't have changed it going into these practices, to be honest, because I don't like the idea of being beholden to past results that are six years old. Rather, we know certain other lines amongst the Rangers without the new additions can work. And I think you build from there. However, yeah, you got to give this, I guess, through the weekend to see if it can work um, and then tweak from there. But it kind of goes back to the same issue as we were probably speaking a year ago when I came on for the last spring's podcast. If at least one of the two top six are rolling, and by rolling, I mean generating offense at least, trading chances at a 50% or higher level, and then the kid line, if they're doing their own thing and doing that, everything looks fine. You just need at least two out of the four generating offense, and typically they'll be able to survive enough at five on five. However, as we've seen in the last three or four weeks, the kid line isn't doing that as much. And then, therefore, outside of, uh, I think it was basically three and a half games of Panarin, Ter- Panarin Trocek, and Tarasenko, the top line hasn't been really doing much either with Kreider, Zibanejad, and Tarasenko. So we're going to, I guess, stick with that. <laughs> we're going to let Panarin and Kane have a few more game run here to try to replicate 2016. And meanwhile, the kid line kind of needs to spark up again. To your yeah. point, Rob, how long do you let that go? <laughs> well, and it's funny. It's funny to hear you say it out loud because it is kind of an absurd concept that everybody's just kind of taking at face value. Like, yeah. oh yeah, well, these guys were really good together in 2016. So let's give that a shot. Now, look, they were probably the game's best. I hope they can recruit duo. it. <laughs> right, but right. But it was so long ago. They're they're completely different players now that you know, uh, again, I guess they sort of, this sounds ridiculous to say too. I guess they owe it to them to see if it'll work again. But also if it doesn't work, and and I think we talked about this a little bit on last week's show, this is really where Gerard Gallant's job gets hard. You know, forget about line combinations. If he does break them up, is he then dealing with personalities, right? Is he dealing with mm-hmm. players who are disgruntled because they're not getting to play with their buddy? Again, I'm an optimist and I'm believing that we have adults in the room on this team and that's not going to be an issue considering the pretty much the stated goal is the Stanley cup. Um, you would think that they would put those things aside and just go play with whoever they need to play with. But unfortunately, you know, that the, these guys are humans and, um, you know, Panarin and Kane have been in touch over the last however many years. And, and, you know, they, they look fondly on their, on their playing days together, look back on those days fondly. So it's certainly something that's in the back of everybody's mind. Um, Rob, can I just... Becky, do you have any... Oh, go ahead, Rob. Sorry, and then, and then I'll quiet down because I know... But, but did, did did everybody hopefully see or hear Galad's comments too on this, that this is where the players want to play right now? I feel like that's such a stark change from what we've seen the last year and a half, where Galad would tell, you know, whether it was Lafreniere or anybody else, well, no, this is our lineup and this is it. But now it's Tarasenko wants to be here, Panarin, Panarin and Kane want to be here, and I guess we're just going to let that run i mean everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face i I just i just feel like the punch in the face is coming and we're just going to see three more games of mediocre mediocre hockey and i hope i'm wrong but 
we just know that other lines work better together right now. So we'll see what happens. Becky, what do you think? Like about what Luker said or in general? In general <laughs> I, you know. That's fair. Can I have a little bit more, more structure? No, just in general about about this lineup and and you know, do, do you think they should stick with it? Do you think they should? Change I'm it? trying not to be like, like I'm pretty sure I said this last week that we need to give it a little bit of time, but I, I am going to be concerned, and it is kind of what Luker said before that you want to be able to go into playoffs rolling and knowing what you're going to be putting out there, um, and so I just worry if this is going to be like a multi. I don't want to say multi-game, but like a multi-game, you know, like we, if we can't settle a little bit um, because you only have so much time. JL, what do you think about the lineup? So initially when the Patrick, uh, Patrick Kane trade happened, I envisioned him playing with Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider. Mm -hmm. I still think that should be the case to this day because, you know, as it's shown, the Trocek Tarasenko Panarin line was absolutely bonkers from the eye test and from the analytics point of view. I still think that should be the case, but if we're trying to catch lightning in a bottle again, which is something uh, Mets fans seem to know very well over the last couple of years when it comes to bringing people on the team, I'm all for it. Honestly, you know, uh, Mike, um, Vincent Trocek is obviously a lot better than Artem Anisimov from that year. Okay, Bruce, I, but <laughs> you know, well, um, I think Anisimov did no, certain things. I'm that, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but, <laughs> but that's actually a really good point. Well, it's, it's it's an interesting thing, JL, because the third player on that line needs to do a lot of work, especially oh, with 100%. the defensive deficiencies of Panarin and Kane. Right. And Trocheck is a fine defensive player, but I think Anisimov was a pretty damn good two way center by that point. He was also just a bigger dude that took up a lot of space, had a long reach. You know, Trocheck is a little bit more of a um. He's not as much a of stick. a, yeah, he's, he's a little bit more of a skill and offense guy than I think, yeah. you know, he's, he's got a pest at, you know, kind of a persona to him on the ice, but I, Anisimov, I think is a little bit, was a little bit more better of a two-way player, although I'd have to, I'd have to confirm that. Well, he was also, you know, him, the thing him and Trocek really have in common is they're both really good passers. And we saw how Anisimov was a, was a passer here. I always thought that was his strength, although I always thought he kind of had a sneaky good shot. But him and him and Trocek have that similarity where they're both really good passers. And again, I hearken to my point about Kane still having the, you know, the set of hands that he had, you know, uh, on his first game here. I just think they need time to figure it out, so to speak. But in the event that things don't end up working, and obviously we want to see how they operate with the full squad, which is nice. You would think that you wouldn't have to say this in the middle of March that, oh, yeah, let's see how they are with a full squad, you know. But overall, I think, you know, for now with the fourth line, you know, with, uh, Brodzinski coming in, that's fine. You know, you want, you know, Tyler Mott to come back and be as healthy as possible. He brings a lot to the table. Obviously, Laugh, Heedle, and Kako, you just kind of have to let them go. You know, at this point, there's no point in bickering about it. You just have to let them do what they have to do. Let them figure it out. That's ultimately what I think the organization is doing, is they're, they're just letting them go out there and do whatever the heck they want. And that's ultimately what should have been the, the philosophy when they first came up. I understand some of the things that they did to try and get them to do different things. But ultimately, the big thing here is if they don't do well these next couple of games, which I think they'll have a good night against Montreal. We'll see, you know, recording this beforehand. So I, I'm not, a, you know, I can't see in the future. They're too skilled not to do well. 
and obviously there's still some sort of chemistry there and they just need to kind of figure it out. And if it doesn't work, then you basically do what you did last season. You put, you know, Kane with, uh, you know, Kane, Kane will be the better version of the Toronto and Andrew cop will be the worst or Tarasenko would be the better version of Andrew cop, so to speak, except he doesn't take face-offs. So for now I'm fine with it. I'm not going to sit here and give a whole dissertation about it, but like everyone said here, the minute or the couple of times that it ends up becoming an issue that you, you have to switch. Even if you want to get drastic, put Kane with he uh, with Heel and Lafreniere. Why not? If it's well, going right. to cool. get you rolling. And I've seen this on Twitter a, a bit, and, and I agree with that. If, you're, if it's really getting to a point where it's becoming an issue, then you have to start tinkering. You put... Well, you know, Kako yeah, on I mean, line one. Because, yeah. Yeah. No, sorry to cut you off. I mean, Kreider, yeah, yeah. Mika, and, and Kako was one of the best lines. And it's pretty much the one of the best lines the Rangers have iced all year. And then Panarin, Trocek, and Tarasenko was kind of right behind that and just without as much ice time together. But I that that was the only point I wanted to make. And then and then I think we'll get to the questions. There's only a few this week. But I think the other thing that sticks in my craw here is the, the kid line is a little bit of a security blanket for Gallant where mm-hmm. he can kind of just leave them together and be like, all right, well, everybody loves this. No one complains about this. It gives all three kids cover. They like playing with each other. So again, you've got that element there, Rob, where everybody's kind of happy where they are and he's kind of deferring to players happiness rather than making hard decisions and having hard conversations with guys about what's best for the team. Um, and it's just kind of a thing that almost enables him to like push off the 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 scrutiny and pressure that those kids have gotten. And on one hand, I appreciate that because it got to a point where he was fielding a lot of questions about Lafreniere and Kako's usage. And I remember he got really testy with uh, Molly Walker from the New York Post last year about when she was questioning Lafreniere being dropped to the fourth line. You know, Kako gets a bunch of questions. He got scratched for game six of the conference final last year. So it's almost like to me, he's like, I've got the kid line as a security blanket for everybody. And that is going to be untouched. When I think that honestly, the best way to go might be breaking up that line and putting Kako on the top line because he just is a perfect complement to Kreider and Zibanejad. And that line is just a real problem to deal with between yep. the speed and the, you know, Mika's three zone play and Kako's, you know, dominant down low possession. You know, then you've got Panarin, Trochik, and Tarasenko, which worked magic uh, across 60, 70 minutes, I think, worth of a sample size. And then you've got Kane against the other team's third and fourth line. I mean, that that really is where, you know, with his um, tools, even in a slightly diminished manner, he could really, uh, you know, thrive, especially with a finisher like Heedle, right? I mean, you want to talk about getting Philip Heedle back on track, a guy who hasn't had a goal in 12 games, put him with Patrick Kane and get him a couple of tap-ins. So, there's that, that, that to me would be plan B. I understand. And, and I think, you know, just to give my answer to the original question, I would leave this together through the weekend. And even if they win a couple of games or all three games, if they do it in ways that feel lucky, i.e. the goalie steals the game or they get some bounces, but they really kind of got outplayed. You got to take a hard look at the lineup. And, and, you know, I think it's probably, uh, you know, even silly that I just said that. Cause we know that if they win the well, game, they're going to keep the lineup together. But, um, Rob, can I just well, tack on to that? Yeah, yeah, no, that, sure. That's ahead. what I mean. We we don't know as fans, we don't know what the plan is, right? We don't know what conversations have happened. So all we can do is infer based on actions taken. And the decisions right now is was this truly the plan that Drury and Gallant even discussed or possibly discussed? Just throw together the old pairs and see what happens? Or what's the next step? I mean, unless these are somehow going to be the lines, and if that's the case, then we're gonna look back and look pretty stupid. But if that's the case and they roll all the way to June from March 7th 
so be it. But that's that's what kind of just blows my mind is it's just we'll, we'll see how quickly it changes or if it changes at all. So that's all. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, that's it's uh, it, it, as we've all said, right? The Chris Drury in a lot of ways has done his job. He's acquired a lot of really good hockey players. I mean, again, you step back from, you know, that we kind of get granular. We talk about the day to day with this team. You just look at the roster. It is littered with highly talented, highly skilled hockey players that have incredible career statistics and pedigree. And now a bunch of championships that have been imported, obviously onto the roster, but this is a, it's a complete team on paper, but is it a complete team in practice? That's what the next 19 games plus, plus, uh, you know, hopefully a long playoff run is all about. And, We'll know a lot more about Gerard Galan as a head coach uh, after these uh, after this regular season finishes up. I think so. With that, I do want to get it uh, get it uh, to the question segment, John Luke. I think you've got those handy. Yes, well, let's pop the goal horn in first, so people Cover can know ears. the difference between the segments. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for questions. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> my, my brain oh. hurts. <laughs> All right. So we've got a couple, not as much as we've had in the past, but there's still some pretty interesting questions here, so to speak. So the first question from one of our own at Coach Connell, he asks us, a few weeks till the Masters, Luker, who's the <laughs> final group on Sunday? Yeah, the, you guys are all very patient when myself and, and Rob included and, and Connell started going on about the golf. But uh, um Really quickly, uh, Spieth is starting to come around. I'm, I'm going to try to go under the radar. You got John Rahm, the buoy. You can't sink him. He's going to be in every single tournament. Scotty Scheffler is just reading his Bible, drinking coffee. He's just a really good golfer. Very boring, but you know that's all all he does. Um, we'll see. We'll see if Spieth comes around. But my guy, I, call me a fanboy, call me a pro PGA anti live, but I think Rory this year finally finally does it. But we'll see what happens. Becky's got some thoughts about Rory McIlroy. They're wow. mostly good. Wait, no. I, who's the one who I think chokes? It's Spieth, right? Well, Rory chokes. Well, Rory, Rory Rory's had a choked. tough few years, yeah. <laughs> Rory? Wait, which one looks like Dark Step on? That's Spieth. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. He, that's fair. He, he, makes he does look like Dark Step on. Especially I really don't like John Rom though. I just like um, I just find him to be very annoying. He's very competitive. Rory well, wears also, the best. He's, he's so got chunky. Top end, top end is, Nike outfit, so. Okay, I don't, I don't mean to body shame. But like it, it annoys me when there's like hefty professional athletes, except for Bartolo Colon. <laughs> what about Dan Vogelbach also sticking with baseball? He's yeah, like, but you know what? He he trimmed down a little bit. Okay, yeah. well oh. he's not my favorite Matt, so like I don't know what you want from me here. <laughs> Last shout out golf wise, Joel Damon. I hope he I hope he makes Ooh. a run. If you watch, he's going to win the Masters. Well, not win, but I just hope he makes a run in the Masters. Kind of ask for final pair. That's only two people. Come yeah, on. I was going to say final matters. pair. Yeah, so you need that's two impossible. top two. Yeah. Scheffler and uh, Scheffler and Rory sounds right to me. <sighs> That'd be a hell of a Sunday. Sure would be. That's my birthday this year. It's also Easter Sunday. I believe you're talking about reading Bibles and stuff. Well, we'll do that early, and then we'll watch the golf. <laughs> <laughs> I have no discernible golf opinion because <laughs> I, I I I don't think I've ever stepped foot on a golf course. I watched golf like a couple of times as like to take a nap, and that's no offense to anybody. So I don't have anything to contribute to this conversation. Although it's for jail. I have I've taken got... many naps during golf events, but then you yeah. just, as long as you wake up for the last hour or so, you're good. 
Yep. Sounds about right. Although I do find it funny that there's a Derek Stepan lookalike in golf, which I find interesting. Oh my but... God. I should do that Twitter thread. <laughs> PGA Tour professionals that are Rangers. <laughs> yeah. I literally only care about golf to the extent that I either, one, I bet, or two, Rob has someone in his like, you know, year long. I don't even know. I'm what in it's a season long, season uh, long golf pool. Oh my yeah. God. I'm in two of them. Okay, we got to move on. We'll, you're we'll all, you're all I want to say that. Notes. And I love it. <laughs> okay, so outside of the golf talk, which almost made me fall asleep, like actually yeah. watching it, here's our next question. Sorry, Rob. Um, so this question comes. So the questions we've got, two of them are comments. So I'll read those after this question. Um, this one is from Terrence at the Terrenator. I like the name. He goes, quick question. What the F? Just kidding. Can they turn this around? Are, uh, yeah, <laughs> seriously. I have a question. Are they... How dare you? <laughs> I know. Easy, easy there. Uh, oh, what's her name on The Office that says that? Oh, Mindy, oh my gosh. I can't think of her name on the Oh, show, my gosh. Yeah. Um, oh, Kelly, see. Okay. Kelly, Kelly, Kelly. Kelly, Kelly Kapoor. First question. What the hell? Um, yes. So... <laughs> Gosh, I'm losing my train of thought. Thanks, guys. Uh, <laughs> so the conti- the continue the ah gosh, sorry, gosh, oh my gosh, I think I need to drink some water. Okay, so the next part of the question is: Are they in such cap hell that they're an injury or two away from slipping in the standings and or a first round exit? Why Kane? Why now? Where does he fit? Wow, this is loaded. <laughs> my why goodness, Kane? why God? I know <laughs> Terranator was going through something there. I can and tell. what's the deal with Oval Team? <laughs> um, I mean, commercial? So I'll, I'll just link it back to my B plus grade. I mean, yeah, looking back for the value, that's fine. But this is what I mean by what was the plan and what was the decision making around the deadline. They could have went a couple different ways. They did not have to go get those two names, and they could have went depth wise to give themselves a little bit better options. And Harper, I'm Jake losing my decision. You know, <laughs> the rest of the shout out Bill Spoo. Um, you know what I mean though? Like that, I, 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 it's hard to disagree with those theories. And I know hockey stat miner has also put that out there. We're a couple injuries away from unfortunately some bleak conversations, but let's just hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. They are walking a tightrope that a lot of teams walk, but then they manage it much more aggressively. And this is the other thing that comes to mind for me with both the Lindgren and mod injuries. And and I get, again, you're trying to get prepared for the playoffs. You want as many games with your kind of, you know, your top, top players together um, as possible before the first round starts. But if, you know, and I know Lindgren and Mott skated on Tuesday, so this may sound in retrospect uh, pretty stupid, but almost any other team would put somebody on LTIR and, and, and would have done it before the trade deadline so that they, they could have executed another trade and brought in another piece because there were still guys out there that it probably could have been had for a lower mid-round pick that could have helped this team from a depth perspective. And then, as we all know, the cap becomes fake in the playoffs. It doesn't exist. Your roster basically expands to whatever you need it to be. You basically have a taxi squad or black aces, whatever you want to call them. And you often need those guys. I mean, I think I've heard it's been said on broadcasts, uh, some of the national broadcasts that the Rangers have been on now, of which there will be more, of course, with Patrick Kane in the fold, I'm sure. Um, but that I don't think any team has gotten through a Stanley Cup winning team has used less than seven defensemen. 
So right there, you're talking about playing very, very long odds that Ben Harper is not going to see your game or two if your plan is to win the Stanley Cup. And if he's your seventh defenseman, I think we can all agree that that could potentially be a major, major problem. So look, they've put themselves in a position where if it's just the 18 skaters, top 18 skaters and two goalies that you're talking about, yeah, it's a great team. It's right up there roster-wise with anybody else, and that roster can win a Stanley Cup. But when you get into depth conversations and when you get into the deeper stuff about are these the right combinations, are the power play units optimized, are they going to be able to kill penalties? Because, by the way, the penalty kill kind of stinks right now. I don't know if we've noticed. Not a thing we talk about a lot here on the show at all, but the penalty kill sucks at the moment and needs to be fixed before the playoffs start. There's all of a sudden a lot of holes in the theory here that the Rangers are are really a cup contender. So um, certainly I agree with with what the fuck, but also the, the <laughs> bright side is, it, again, it's a really talented team. And there's plenty of people who I remember reading um, Dom from The Athletics recap of the Kane trade, who is obviously a very analytics heavy guy. He thought the trade was great. And he said, look, with, with a guy like Kane, because of his talent, because of the fit with Panera, and you almost throw the, throw his recent analytic profile out the window. The guy is going to be a net positive for this team because he's still so skilled. He's on a much better team that's going to be able to finish some of those chances he creates. So, you know, that's the bright side, right? And and I think, you know, Rob, you brought up Tarasenko originally. Mm-hmm. I think great trade. I, and again, we'll grade it at the end of the season, all that stuff. But he's starting to show some signs of being, you know, a highly motivated, very effective player now that he's shooting the puck more and, and, you know, it's going in for him and he's also creating chances for others. So yep. all we'll of his individual pans out, but I love that his, addition. All of his individual rates are up already. And I know it's still pretty small sample, but up compared to St. Louis. So that right. indicates that he's playing with better base teammates essentially, and that he can be a compliment. So let's hope that continues and let's hope they find him the right pair to go with. Absolutely. All right. Well, this next one I mean, I have nothing else to add to that. You guys basically basically said what I was thinking, so to speak. Um, so the next, this next one is more of a comment. It comes from Kevin at Spozo211. And basically he writes, We all know the best lineup involves swapping Kane and Vlad. GG even knows it. By this point, we know GG's pattern exhausts all possible scenarios until you get the right one. Although it's longer than <laughs> we would like, the lineup will end up where it needs to be. Then he adds that he's fine with the new power play lines. I'd imagine he will play them with equal time. I've mentioned that before. And whoever starts the power play will be entirely dependent on who is freshest at the moment. And then he adds the whole zip to power play two is so overblown. And I do agree with that last statement right there. And I know I mentioned that earlier in the show. And I think his first comment is all is basically, again, like what I was mentioning before, it's all dependent on Gerard Gallant's um, judgment and his coaching staff's judgment on what exactly they're going to do and how they're going to uh, execute with their lines and how they throw them out there. Yeah. I mean, listen, we, we talked, we touched on it earlier. Um, all of this does deserve a proper run. Now we are limited in the amount of time we have. We don't have 20 games even to see it, right? That's a quarter of a season. And not that there's a high chance that, anything would stick together for 20 games in the modern NHL. I know we joke about Gallant, but most coaches are changing their lines, you know, uh, in, in, in even minor ways, you know, once every few games, but um, it's just that they are pressed for time and, and they do need to, you know, 
try and keep pace. Not that I think there's, you know, in they're in real danger of falling out of a playoff spot. I mean, I, I checked Money Puck earlier today. Their odds as of Tuesday were 94.6% chance to make the playoffs. So that's almost as close to a foregone conclusion as you can have. But you need to be finding, and, and Becky, you said it earlier, you've got to be trying to hit your stride here going into the playoffs. Um, so we'll see if that happens. All right. I, well, I think. Well, that's... I'm sorry. Can I just can I just tack onto that? So sure. I'm I'm perfectly fine with if if Gallant needs a stepping stone where he has to keep the kid line involved or sorry together, um, and putting Kane with uh, Kreider and Zibanejad, I'm perfectly fine with that. I think Kreider and Zibanejad, kind of like Panarin and Trocheck, and before that Panarin and Strom, that's the pair that makes up the core of your forward group, right? So Kane can probably be a compliment to Kreider and Zibanejad. So if Gallant won't break up the kids, so be it. It's just we'll see if the current seemingly player-dictated lines work because ultimately it will be interesting to see with a full defense core now with Lindgren hopefully back and um, obviously Miller coming back to see how it goes. So I'm optimistic, just uh, I want to know what the next step is as well. Well, I'll also add too. Um, I do, like I mentioned earlier, I do agree with putting. You know, if things don't work out, they can put Kane with Zabanajad and Kreider because I, I think for the most part, Capo Caco is kind of like a, I don't want to say less skilled version, but more of like a, like a miniature version of the type of game that Patrick Kane plays. It's, it's a lot of setup, a lot of puck handling, a lot of keeping, you know, possession of the puck into the zone, at least from what I remember when Patrick Kane was, you know, really Patrick Kane and Cabo Caco is, you know, a possession, you know, magnet as Kane was. So I think that the play styles complement that line a lot better because obviously Kreider is the, you know, the speedster. He also tends to generate a lot of offense on the cycle as well, but also a lot of p- things that people don't seem to really get. Although Mika Zibanejad is arguably one of the best shots, best offensive forces in the game. And I'm saying that he's also a really good defensive center. So I think that kind of balances everything out. And obviously Kreider is also pretty good in his own end. Capo Caco's probably a little better defensively than Kane is at this current moment, but I think they're basically the same type of player, so to speak, with very similar play styles. So it wouldn't necessarily hurt or would be too much of a big drop off if they put Kane with the top line. I think it might actually turn out to be pretty good. I'm just, you know, hoping the other line works out. But if it doesn't, it's the easy fix. The only thing I'll say is Kane cannot do the Capo impersonation of Yammer Yager using his giant ass to protect the puck. So that's all. That's true. That's true. Yes, that's right. Um, one more comment you said, JL? Uh, no, that's pretty good. There's one more comment. I'm not going to entertain it, though, that's on here. Oh, okay. I won't entertain it. But um, no, that seems to be pretty it. Uh, that seems to be it for the questions. Thank you, everyone, for submitting. And we hope to, you know, get some questions in from this week. So thank you, everyone. And thank you for listening, too. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts. Becky, go first. Mm, this is a long week. That's my final <laughs> thought. Long week with no hockey, too. No game till Thursday. No game since Saturday. And now the Knicks lost. It's not, it's yeah, not the nine-game winning streak is over. Oh, no. They were like 10-point yeah. favorites. They were 10-point favorites. That yeah. I, 
I actually and I really wanted to put money on Charlotte because that was just screamed <laughs> letdown game. Yeah, it's a trap game. Yeah, I mean it was a big time trap game. But yeah, so this is old news on Thursday. But yeah, the Knicks did lose everybody. <laughs> uh, JL, any final thoughts from you? Uh, I, as much as I love, you know, hockey and you know, kind of yearning for the Rangers to play. I'm uh, I'm actually very happy about this four game uh, four day break, so to speak. A lot of encouraging news, even though you guys somewhat disagree with me on the power play units. I think it's needed at this time. Um, I can't once this is out, I can't wait to see them hopefully dust Montreal. Please yell at me if I am wrong, but I think they'll win. I know that kind of sounds unsure with the upper inflection of my voice. <laughs> but uh, I think they'll win, and I can't wait to see them back on the ice, but they definitely needed these couple days off. So um, let's go Rangers, and if not, let's go Rangers. Uh, let's go Mets and Daniel Vogelback's workout routine. <laughs> Rob, always good to have you. Any final thoughts from you before we get out of here? Appreciate it. Uh, as for the Habs on Thursday, they're a 50% team lately, so maybe not playing as bad as one might think. So careful. Uh, we'll see what happens. I'm optimistic. We know the formula. Be average at five on five. Hope the power play pots the rest and hopefully Igor Shesterkin wakes up, which I don't think we mentioned him the entire podcast. Mm -mm. Um, politely, I say wake up. I don't doubt him. I'm just saying wake up. I don't know how else to say that. So his uh, alarm clock has been going that's off. Fair. He's hit the news a couple of times. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna actually go physically drag him off the couch. I just want him to get up. That's all. That's all I'm saying. So that's it. Um and uh, I just don't think the lines are going to be the same as we sit here on March 7, 2023, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Listen, I'll just, um, I'll just end on a little bit of, of positivity as well. I think a lot of what we've seen has been heavily influenced by a short lineup and a weird lineup and all of the uh, mental exhaustion of going through the pre Patrick Kane circus that we all went through. And I think it's the four day break actually came at a great time it's a bit of a reset for the whole team and, you know, they will get back into the rhythm of playing games. And I think that's really the best, that'll be the best medicine for them, you know, with a full lineup. And, um, you know, uh, I, I do think they'll come around. I think we, we've got some good moments ahead and, um, you know, really looking forward to the rest of the season because again, on paper, I'm struggling to remember a more exciting and star laden Ranger team. I, I mean, this really has, yeah, I said it last week when they, you know, when the Kane trade was official, but this is a, it's pretty much a super team, right? I mean, you've got stars up and down the lineup. It, it should work as long as it's configured correctly. And also everybody's making the proper kind of sacrifices within the team that need to be made, but um, should be a really fun end of the season. And we're, we're excited to talk about it every week with you uh, until it ends. So with that, thanks for listening to live from the blue seats and we will talk to you next week. Thank you.